Hello all, I am Patrick Ferrar, and thank you for joining us for another installment of the Opinionated Stance podcast. Please do me a huge favor, visit us on opinionatedstance.com, follow us on Twitter and Facebook, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play. Also subscribe to the YouTube channel. If you have any comments, questions, and show ideas, please reach out. We always love to hear feedback from our listeners, and thank you again for listening to the shows. Uh, today we'll be discussing the topic of passion and what it looks like to find one's passion and mission in life and to begin to explore that mission. We'll also talk about what it looks like to turn passion into action. My guest today is a longtime listener, first time caller and a great friend, Nirav Amin. Nirav is a great friend who has demonstrated, who has demonstrated passion for helping and being involved in early stage startups in the startup ecosystem. I thought it was only natural and fitting for him to be here as we discuss this topic. Welcome to the show on this beautiful, cloudy January day. How are you doing, my friend? First of all, Patrick, thank you for having me, and I am doing great. Very excited to be here and uh, uh, record this with you, but more, more actually have this great conversation with you. Awesome, awesome. Some people might be listening to this, may not know your background, so why don't you tell a little bit about your background so everybody can understand who Nirav is? Absolutely. I'm going to read down the resume for you, I guess. Um, Background in uh, economics. I got my bachelor's in economics over at uh, University of Illinois, I-L-L-I-N-I. Illinois-y? Yeah, Illinois-y, you know. Uh, Afterwards, uh, I somehow got into supply chain management and uh, over the course of 10 years, uh, accumulated a wealth of knowledge from working for uh, retailers, working for, um, you know, uh, uh, sorry, uh, distributors, uh, bulk-based businesses, food-based businesses, and then, um, you know, kind of got into the, the startup scene here in Chicago, uh, experimented a bit with my own businesses on the events side, as well as uh, um, you know, opening an Android uh, dev school uh, down in Austin, Texas. And then, um, you know, uh, most recently decided to apply that operations knowledge back in and currently with a uh, P&G startup here in Chicago called Tidespin. So, um, you know, mainly a background in uh, operations. Very cool. So you got a lot of stuff on your plate. Yeah, I uh, I tend to do that. I uh, I'm like I'm like that bad guy in a buffet line. I overfill on the one plate and just keep going with it, you know. So salad, fish sticks, <laughs> pizza, gravy, mashed potatoes. Hot plate, gravy first, then mashed potatoes. Right? Uh, it depends. Sometimes it'll go the other way around, and you learn that afterwards. So <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Just bad decisions around. All <laughs> yeah, I, just, I, I can just imagine you in a golden corral right now, just like loading up. Oh it's my god! Bad. In my day, it was old country buffet, but exactly. it works exactly. Uh. So. Cool. Well, let's dive into the topic first. Let's talk about passion. Um, everybody's got some sort of thing that they're passionate about. How did you become, or how did you discover your passion or your mission or your driving force, both both personally and professionally? It's it's a great question. And uh, a what, also, what is your passion like? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think you know, discovering my passion. I'll go into that first since you asked. I, uh, you know, like I said, I've been working since uh, since 2006, so just a little over 10 years now. And I've worked in so many different different areas. I'm I'm that guy where when we play two truths and a lie, one of the truths I tell is that I've had ten jobs in ten years, yeah. and that's because I've just jumped around from place to place, um, trying to continue continuously learn, uh, you know, different areas. Truly, I think I found my passion in the last four years though of my life. Uh, you know, at 28, I kind of decided things weren't working out with just staying on the same path, um, and so. Decided to hit up a startup weekend uh, here in Chicago. Um, for those of you that don't know, Startup Weekend is a three-day event. 
you get together with uh, community members, pitch ideas, build companies, and really get a, a great quick overview of what it's like to actually try to start something. Um, and when I left that, I realized, you know, just in three days, I'm like, I don't know that being in the general workforce where I'm at right now is, you know, for me. I wasn't saying that it's not, you know, that supply chain management is bad or operations right. is bad, but I just realized I have to kind of let go and, and go forward. And so you didn't know if corporate America was the path to be on necessarily, or if it was something that was starting your own. I own entity or something like that. I really didn't know, to be honest. I didn't know whether it was corporate America that was bothering me. It was my job. It was where I was at. It mm -hmm. was, you know, maybe not having enough opportunities. I, if, if I now look back the 2020 hindsight piece of it, I didn't know what it was. The only thing I knew was that I needed to follow my gut mm -hmm. and go towards something that I was interested in learning. And, you know, we go into this whole continuous learning piece that we've talked about on and on for so right. long. Um, and so I had a chance to go learn iOS development. And, uh, so I decided to do that. I talked to my manager and said, I'm leaving in 90 days to go, go to a full-time camp where I'm going to learn iOS development with a company that was here formerly called, uh, Mobile Makers Academy. Mm -hmm. And then from there, the opportunities kind of kept opening up. If you've ever seen the movie, Yes Man, uh, that's pretty Jim much Carrey. what it was. Yeah. Yes, I will take guitar lessons. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I will go drink Red Bulls throughout the and, night. And that's what ended up happening. I went from mobile makers to saying yes to going down to Austin with a couple other friends of mine and helping open up a boot camp for Android development. Mm -hmm. I didn't necessarily know that I wanted to do Android development or even teach, but one of the things I learned through that experience was that I wanted to help people and okay. work with people, help people, try to be together with people and achieving some type of common goal. But being able to create something where people could come and I could help them and then put them back out in the world. And so a boot camp was a great place to try to learn how that worked. Okay. So to synthesize that and just like summarize that into like one piece, the passion wasn't necessarily the app development side of things. It wasn't necessarily this, it was the continued learning and the helping of others and understanding my purpose. Right. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, from there then I, you know, Stayed there for about a year. Unfortunately, the boot camp didn't work out. Um, you know, there's there's always a there's always a 99% uh, chance that you know your first round it doesn't work out. Right. So we were a part of that larger crowd. Uh, I ended up moving back to Chicago, and uh, uh, you know, 562 is a number that will always stay in my my head. Five dollars and 62 cents was what was left in my checking account yep, I had when I got mine down to 17 at one point. <laughs> yep. So. And so uh, posted a message online that said, I'm about to be homeless, so if anybody has job opportunities, let me know. I got phone calls from people actually thinking I was going to be homeless, and I said, well, wait, my parents are, I was only kidding, like my parents right. are taking care of me. And But I did get a lot of opportunities from the startup community as well as back in my old, uh, old stomping grounds, um, you know, being a supply chain analyst. And I decided to go back because, one, I needed to take care of myself a bit, and two, still was trying to explore what it was I was looking for. What I realized was that it wasn't supply chain management or operations that right. I disliked. If anything, I missed it. I loved doing that. Being given a pipeline and they're like, here, there's a clog in the pipeline. Help figure out how to unclog and make sure things continuously run was another thing I realized. So not only just helping people, serving a purpose, but also truly problem solving. Being given a problem that is being, you know, and being a direct um, contributor or an effector, you know, into that. So it was very important that I was a part of that. Um, and then as I continued, I worked with different jobs until finally I was presented with the opportunity to join Procter and Gamble. And what they did was, is they took my passion for operations and management 
and combined it with, we want you to help build something from scratch. And that was the third piece. It was just building something, you know? And so what it came down to, for me at least, my passion, and it took me four years to figure this out, right. was it composed of three elements. It was, I want to build great things, you know? I want to help solve problems that are presented to me through that, and I want it to be able to impact people directly, whether it's today, you know, solving people's laundry problems or truly um, building a team. The people that come to work with us, like right. I have a hand in helping decide who that is, and it is just so cool to be able to see how excited they are to come in and the impact it has on them. And so those are my three areas of passion. And in, for me, it took me four years to figure that out. And yeah, that was, you know, that was my long answer to your hopefully, you know, sure, I didn't mean to make it a such a long answer, but. No, I think that's great. I think that it's good to see, like, one of the things that I took away from that is it takes time for you to fully understand you have to be in situations where you're, I'm not going to say like getting stomped on or just not feeling good, but you have to be in situations that uh, expo expose the opportunity for you to learn. Like to figure out, okay, self-learn, like what are you really passionate about? Like for me, like we've talked about this briefly before, but my, my whole passion in life, like what drives me to do all the different things that I do is continual learning. I'm a tinkerer by nature. I'm a creative. I want to take and build new things. And then the other thing is helping others. And whether that's taking what I just learned and teaching that to somebody else, or if it's like doing what I want to do, like maybe take and start a podcast or like do that production stuff. Maybe I don't know how to do it at the beginning, but I'll learn how to do it because just the process of learning is very self-fulfilling, you know? And the big thing that is um, really awesome when you take and look at that stuff is when you think of it in a professional capacity, those hours that you put into your passion, hobby projects don't feel like work. So you're really going to want to take and spend more hours taking and doing that. Um, like I'm self-taught on everything. Yeah, I've had lessons and have had mentors before in different fields and stuff. Like I've had a guitar teacher. I've had people that have helped me code. It's not me just learning like, okay, I'm going to read a book and then do. It's always you have mentors along the way that help you kind of like explore those passions and give you the tool sets that you need to do that. Did you have any of those like as you were like figuring out like as you were trying to figure out, okay, I'm going to try to get this Android school up. Like were there mentors that were saying, yeah, you should do this or you should do that or helping you not give you the answers on how to do it, but like guide you down the path to take and it's like, okay, this is what you could start to do if you wanted to do that. Oh yeah. I think, you know, what's interesting is that moreover, I mean, there were people in my life that, you know, really cared about me succeeding at right. it that would step in and of course help. So, you know, you, you can put that into groupings of family, friends, you know, all those folks, but then Moreover, it was the it was the community base that I was in. So we we started the school in Austin. Yeah. And it was so great to see the number of people that helped us connect to folks in Austin initially. There was uh there was a, a friend of mine, Andy, that was down there. He's a great friend of mine now. And uh, you know, uh was connected to him by a mutual friend, a, a buddy of ours, Adam Hahn. Mm -hmm. And so um Adam connected me to Andy and uh, you know, Andy was the first connection point who started guiding us to different folks. Andy connected us to the community. More than telling us how to work our business, he started talking to us about how you want to get ingrained in the community, right? So he had his connections and how that worked. And then as he connected us to different folks, we got connected to a, another guy, Sean, who basically um, 
was very helpful in the education sphere sure. while we were down there. And he started talking to us more about how the program could work and how you could attract students. And so it was it was interesting. We started with kind of this large, like like this large group of people that could potentially help us. And as we started meeting those folks, the f- the funnel actually got larger, but yet mm-hmm. somehow the the intricacies of the conversation got like more in depth and more specific. It got more real. Like you yeah. you got the the network the network of people that was there becomes becomes more trusted. It, it really does. And here's what's really interesting too. You'll talk to people, and there's going to be two types of people you talk to. There are people. They're all going to say yes. I don't think there's ever been a time where I've told somebody, hey, you know, I think you'd be great for this. Do you want to help? And they'll be like, yes. And then you'll never hear from them again. Right. And then there's the people who will say yes, and they will actually do something right away. Or even folks who just start doing things right away. Those are the people that are genuinely vested in you. And they're not necessarily, they might be very much so, they might be looking for something out for themselves to a certain degree. But for the most part, they're not. They're actually they just there's something they see about your passion and that's infectious they have a passion as well they see that you have a passion and that they could see this this thing you're talking about become alive and actually real and start impacting the community that they love and that's what brings two people together yeah and that genuine nature to help out and to connect is what helps people succeed there is no i it's a we thing right it's all boats rise together right absolutely yeah so something came to mind as you were saying that it's like so you discovered your passion. It took four years or so. Like after working for a while, what would, if you had yourself five years ago sitting next to you in that chair right now, what would you tell him? Like what advice or guidance would you tell him or somebody who's in that place where they're like, maybe they're a little stagnant or there's like, they don't know what the, they can't continually put the same input into different situations and the output is not what they expect. What would you, what advice would you give them to take and see change in their life to take and, you know, go on and take and live that passion or figure out what it is that they want to do. You know, maybe they find out that there's somebody who is working in a financial industry and they just pour over numbers, but that's not their passion. Their passion is building snowboards. And how would you give that person advice to take and go from that, situation where they're in this financial job to take the leap, figure out if you want to do snowboards or maybe you want to take and build teddy bears. Like how would you take in, what advice would you give? You know, it's, it's, I love that you're asking these questions cause I just was giving, I, I was talking to somebody about this this week and um, one of the things, so I have a lot of advice I'd give to myself back when I was, I would say maybe 26 instead of 28, even though I took the leap at 28, but I'll say between that 26 and 28 year old, um, the first thing that I would say is one, take the leap as early as you can. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say that not because, you know, you know, societal responsibilities are going to fall on you. I think we all put pressure on ourselves as we see what, you know, people are getting married and having children and buying homes and right. all these different things. And like, we're like, oh, I got to do that too. And it's like, no, let's not, let's not go there. But moreover, what's going to happen is the older you get, no matter what it is, but you're going to start to put your roots down naturally even right. like you're going to be like, this is what I want to do. And I, you know, as much as I love to travel, a part of me now at 32 going on 33 soon mm-hmm. likes to actually be in Chicago and enjoy my place, enjoy my city, enjoy my town instead of being out there. Right. And so in that way, you know, when you're, 
when you're earlier in your life, you have more flexibility, more time to do these things and more time to learn. Yeah. The older you get, it's not that external pressures will come in. You yourself will start to realize the things that you're actually put, you know, putting your roots down for naturally. And you necessarily may not learn that later. And in order to avoid any sort of regret, you're not going to be able to go off and learn every single thing in your 20s. But you have more opportunities and more time to do it, right? This is when you're still free out there and and you have the ability to switch over once, and you're also not putting pressure on yourself. The, right. the, the later you get in your career, your salary and benefits and all these other things that you've built up and experienced, really, you'll start to think, I can't move from this. Right. And so before that gets cemented in in your mind, start moving earlier. It's much easier to do so. Yeah, I think like going back to like to piggyback on that point, I think in our 20s, we have a natural ability to like discover and make those decisions. We've just gone through some of us have gone through college and like have been not taught necessarily how to do like critical thinking or decision making. But it's like, okay, we get to experience what we like on our own for ourselves. So it's like, okay, do I want to live in Portland or do I want to live in Austin or do I want to take and be, you know, professional hula hoopist or do i want to take and start a startup or do i want to join the circus or do i want to go on two dates a week do i want to go on a thousand dates a week right we get to i think the 20s are a lot of you know time for us to like just i mean in american culture like if you graduate college it's a lot of time to find explore like figure out okay it's testing it's the scientific experiment we're just like is this going to be fun okay take that data point have it and it's those 20s that really tee up for when you hit like everybody dreads becoming 30 you know but i think it's like you take all those data points in your 20s to realize where you actually want to be in your 30s but it doesn't mean you have to stop in your 30s you can still take and start new things exactly. out. Like exactly you can still start in your 40s your 50s age is just a number i think the big thing that you're trying to articulate is time like yes. um just because and if you've already found out what you want to do and you have your passion and you're living it know that that can change as you grow and have different experiences in your life. Well, and, and I think that, no, 100%. And I think the biggest thing is is that when we, when we enter our 20s, I don't want to necessarily say graduate college right. because this pertains to everybody, but when we enter our 20s and we go off to live on our own or we start to explore different career options, I believe we don't even have a necessarily like a foundational base built yet. Our 20s is for building right. your foundational base. But when you enter your 30s, no matter what you've done, you've built some type of a base, whether you've built a large base, a smaller base, but you've built yourself a base. In some sort of sector or network or some sort of community that you're in, you've got something that you've built already. Exactly. You have equity in somewhere. Exactly. Yeah. And so to the degree, as far as you can take that foundational building, make it happen. You know, like the one thing I'll say is that there are situations in life that we cannot dictate for anybody. Everybody's, everyone gets their own you know, um, you know, every, everyone gets their own cards dealt to them. Right. And it's like, it's, it's what you have. It's like a game of poker, um, you know, and you have a certain set of cards in your hand and you have to work with those. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to say that it's some vanilla, you know, um, vanilla prescription here, but the idea yeah, here, there's more, no boilerplate to what you're going to be doing. Like mm -hmm. what works for you is not going to necessarily work for me. Right. But if you have, if you know that you want to go off and try something and you don't do anything about it, then, and you have the opportunity to do so, and you don't do it, then I can guarantee you this, by not doing it, you're not gonna have a chance to learn anything about that opportunity. But if you have a chance, whether that means you know stepping out even slightly outside of your comfort zone, at that time, if I'm talking back to myself, going back to that original mm -hmm. question, that's one of the biggest pieces of advice I would have is that don't 
falter. Don't, sta don't stand there. Actually go and start to do something. At the same time, I would also tell myself to not be as reckless. The one okay. thing I did it, at 28 um, and talked to most of my friends, and I love them for the fact that they supported me, and even my family. You know, coming from my friends and my family, I was actually surprised nobody really said anything. They let me go be a free bird. Right. But, you know, I basically said that, you know, I'm just going to go off and go do these things without much thought. Okay. And now looking back, and what I even tell people that I talk to now is that do not do it as recklessly as I did. If, yeah. there's, if there's a spectrum of, you know, n you know, being fully like so, so, um, you know, so content with just where you are versus moving around everywhere, there's a balance. Mm -hmm. And I say that because as opportunities come to you, you know, the more reckless you are, over time, the less opportunities you can take advantage of. That's going to be very important to remember. Um, and that's, that's, that's one of the key things I would tell myself, uh, you know, is that don't be as reckless. And that kind of goes into the third piece, third yeah. and fourth pieces. I have a follow-up question for that. So like, sure. don't be reckless. Like, can we put specific numbers, not personal numbers on it, but like, let's quantify this, like in a quantitative measure. Absolutely. Like what is reckless? Like what are, like, what are some things that you would hone against? Like, okay. Say you have a job that you're making, you know, fifty five thousand dollars a year doing mm -hmm. something here sure. uh, in a market, and then you want to go take and do something different. What would you recommend? Like when you took your first step to go to Austin, you had to get an apartment, you had to get this, you had to get that. Like, how do you take in avoid being reckless and doing it in a way that it makes it good? Because I think sometimes that pressure you have from not necessarily you personally have, but that people can have from scarcity resources by taking and becoming reckless makes it so that the situation that they're going to is not going to be the best one. They take and have limited resources. They go try to do something. They're struggling like beyond belief and that causes them to have a negative experience about what they're trying to do and then forces, Oh, it's a bad idea that I even started to do this. I'm going to go back to the, my comfortable life. So what would you recommend again to person moving or doing another I think the word we're looking for here is runway, and, and it's an important one, whether you're running a business or your personal life. When you decide to take a move, such as quitting your job and starting something or making a shift, and in a situation like the one I would, I'm going to use mine, for example, sure. because it's easier to use, but um, you want to put numbers to it, and you use the example of a $55,000 salary. Let's put percentages to it instead. Yeah, that's perfect. I took a 70% pay cut. From what I was making before, I took actually a hundred percent pay cut to go do the boot camp. And when I did that, I looked at my numbers and I knew what my runway was. And so it was okay for me to go pay the boot camp fee and then go do the boot camp. Mm -hmm. But then the plan was to actually come out of the boot camp and go do something local here in Chicago where I could apply those skill sets. Instead, I decided to move to Austin. I had responsibilities here in Chicago that I still needed to to finish out, and that was all based on the salary I was making before. The responsibilities were not going away. That right. was a part of my runway calculation. But I decided to go down at a whim. And I mean, nobody forced me. I was excited about the idea. The guys I were working with, phenomenal guys, still friends. I'm, I'm friends with them today. Right. And we had a fantastic experience. But it cost me my savings. Sure. And with that, that was not calculated. And that is the first time I'm actually stating that. I never really share that. But it's the truth is that it was not calculated. So when I say reckless, 
risk is great when it's only calculated. When it's not calculated, it's called reckless. Yeah. And that's the biggest thing is that I would say that if you wanted to hone in on it, do the calculation of risk. There are people who ask, how much runway should I have? I'm like, that's really up to you. Is a three-month runway good for you? Is a six-month runway good for you? Is a nine-month runway good for you? Ideally, my recommendation is always to have anywhere between six and 12 months. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to hit on the other point that you hit because it was really good, um, the experience. See, you want to you wanna run any experiments, right? Even in, in, in the jobs I've had before, we've run experiments on like right. different projects we've had, right? And you have to understand that the, the, the thing that you're doing when you step out of your comfort zone is you want to see if this is something that's going to work. But if you're going to spend most of your time worrying about your personal bank account or worrying about your personal life where it loses focus on the professional job that you're trying to do or the project you're trying to build or the company you're trying to build, then you're not going to apply the necessary resources to make it work. Right. They're in turn causing any sort of, and I hate the word, but failure to the actual project or company or whatever you're building. Mm -hmm. And then what you're going to do is say, this never works. You should never go to try to do this. This is why the 99% exists. Right. When in reality... The reason that people succeed out there in the first place, I think is because, I mean, I think there's a little bit of chance to it, of course, like anything else, but I think the reality is they've calculated their risk, they've tried different things, and they happen to hit on something that works. Right. But their focus is the key point, and this actually kind of segues a little bit into that fourth point I wanted, third or fourth point I would tell myself. There's a d very fine line between the difference of fear of failure and fear of not succeeding. Mm -hmm. Okay, and here's the difference. Fear of failure, the focus is on failure. You're always going to be looking at failure when you think about it versus fear of not succeeding is that you want the success and you're going to keep striving for it thinking if I don't get it, then it's going to hit so many things. But the key focus there is success. Right. And that's the biggest thing is that when you don't calculate your risk on your personal side, you're always afraid of failure. Right. I think I can segue onto that too. It's like my, my nature has been um, always wanting to help people out and knowing that there is a, you know, that there's a marketplace for the skills that I've accumulated and done things. But my fear hasn't been, I don't know if it's a fear of failure, fear of success, but it's a fear of the responsibility and the weight that I'm going to let somebody down. Um, yeah. Because time is an infinite resource. I know that I'm good and I can do these different things out for people, but nothing is guaranteed to be successful and that there's an amount of pressure that goes on there that you're going to take and let down, especially people that supported you. Like there's your network. I mean, when you're talking about you're starting something early on, there's that family and friends part where they're your huge network and you get scared that they're taking in, you know, either financially supporting you, uh, emotionally supporting you, like giving you a place to stay. And if it doesn't work out, I think that causes a huge bit of inaction. I'm trying to get over that myself. Actually, I am getting over that myself. But it goes into your the second point, like the tangent of there, where it's like you have to figure out the how not to be reckless when you're taking and doing these decisions to take and make this. It's like in your situation, you decided to just up and quit your job, leave your job, um, and do everything full, 100% full there. Um, one of the things that I'd um, say is that you don't have to always go the full, like just because you're taking and leaving your job and working, you, you don't have to do that. You can take and do like an augmentation where it's like, okay, you start to take in the, you know, if you want to be a painter and you're an accountant, Absolutely. you start, you start painting at night, Absolutely. start painting in the morning. It's therapeutic. It's something you love. 
And if you can take in solid painting, awesome. But if not, you're enjoying life. I think a lot of people have hobbies that they take in love that they're very good at, but they don't have the understanding that they could potentially be doing this. You know, I think one of the interesting things that I've um, been listening and hearing over, I've been reading a lot. I've been Gary Vaynerchuk. Yeah. Uh, I've bought the book, Crush It. God, when it first came out, read it a few times and then lost it in a move or something. Bought it again, have been wa- watching his podcast and watching all of his other stuff. Right. Um, and one of the things that he talked about this week was there was, uh, if you could make uh, $50,000, or I think it was like $80,000 um, doing something you loved, like blogging about you know NFL stats or basketball stats, or you could be making $110,000 being an attorney that has to work all this time. Which would you rather choose? It's like, okay, you have the freedom and lifestyle to choose. You're making less money, but you're having time and you're doing your passion. I think that a lot of people um, don't understand that that's, that's actually attainable. And it's like, again, it comes down to cost of living, understanding what lifestyle you want to have. If you want to take and work and be an attorney, like there's attorneys that love doing it because they get to help. Like if you're an environmental attorney or if you're taking and doing contract law or entertainment, like you're doing things that you want to do, but some people that are in that field or in other professional services fields are just there like document review or doing this and then are miserable. Um, oh yeah. Like how do you live on your passion? So like one of the things that I'm like interesting on is what motivates you to continue to put effort to live your, to, to live your dream. Yeah. I think that, I mean, and you, you hit some of the points on what you were talking about just now is that, you know, there's, there's 24 hours in a day. This is what I love telling people. And split it into three parts. There's eight hours that you go to work. There's eight hours that you sleep. And then there's eight hours that's, call it personal time. Mm-hmm. You might go home to your family. You might go home and- It's and, you time. It's you time, really, right? But, you know, and that time is is committed to that group of friends and family and yourself. You know, like, I think that it, it goes to different factions depending on the day of the week or, you know, the time or, you know, any anything like that. And- the one thing that I'm I'm a believer in is that, you know, you need to make each of those blocks count as much as possible. Mm-hmm. First of all, everybody needs sleep, so hopefully everybody's getting their sleep. Right. Um, you know, that empowers you to do what you can do those other 16 hours. Uh, my biggest thing is is that, you know, what drives me to have any sort of passion in what I'm doing is that I have to go do that for eight hours. Mm-hmm. And to your point, you know, you get the person who's, you know. You know, I have the highest respect for any field out there, attorneys, doctors, engineers, Absolutely. business people, whatever, you name it, and what they're doing. But if they don't have a passion, if the only passion driver is money, which at one point in my life I thought was the main thing is we right. go to work to earn money, then what I kept running into was the number of hours I'm putting in, it's it's cutting into that time for me. Like, you know, what, what do I... What do I get to do with that? Like, what's the point of earning $110,000, an extra 30000 if I'm miserable at what I'm doing for a third of my day mm-hmm. and that it brings up long stress in my life? Your health suffers. And your health suffers. There's uh, uh, somebody, somebody where I work, um, you know, she's, she's right now pushing this, uh, this, this, uh, this new program for us called Health and Wealth. And okay. It started out as, a, as just a funny thing. When she said it, we'd, 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 you know, we'd have a little chuckle and be like, that's, that's, that's great. And now we're actually all living it, you know, because health and wealth, and that's the biggest thing. And it doesn't mean, you know, health, I think, is, is key. I think we understand that very well. But wealth, too, right? It's not about having the most money. Mm-hmm. It's about, you know, 
the lifestyle that you live right. and that are you enjoying as much of your life as you possibly can. The one thing about passion too, the other thing I will tell you is that um, I, you know, I, I was, uh, by, by religion, I'm, I'm a Hindu. And so I've, I've gone to classes and different things at my temple. And there was a temple class I went to once. And the teacher was talking about um, finding love in everything that you do. Right. And I didn't understand it. I said, how can I go to my desk job and find, you know, you know, he was describing love for God or love for, you know, as he did that. And I'm like, how can I go to work and find love for religion or God or anything along those lines? And I asked him after class one day and he said, let's take it a step back. Let's not use love for God, but let's call it love, right? Love for the people you work with, love for the people you're servicing, love for what you're doing. He said, it will drive you to do your job as best as you can because the end goal is making it work for that passion that you desire. And when you do that, in turn, it will make you better at what you do. You will continuously learn and you will continuously grow. And he's like, I promise you, the money follows. Yeah. The money absolutely follows. So he's like, don't focus on money. He said, and at that point, at the same time, you will humble yourself too. That's the other thing. And so not to bring in a, a religious aspect, but more the the actual, like, you know, the, the practical learning from this was that if you put passion into what you do, it will drive you to want to do better at that. It will drive you to want to learn and it will drive you to discover yourself. And those are the three elements that make me want to continue a passion in what I do. That's cool. Yeah, I think for me, like you hit it, like the nail on the head. It's like we have a day that's 24 hours. You can split it into three parts equally and you have eight, eight, and eight. Some people can deal with six hours of sleep. Most shouldn't, but you shouldn't be doing less than that. You have those eight hours that if you're working for a professional, like if you're going to a job, you probably put in a 40-hour week. It's a standard. Like, And that could be you eight and a half one day. You know, It could be different things. Averages out. It averages out. My... Interesting thing is in those eight hours that you have for your personal time, we have this thing called entertainment that takes in, um, you know, it could be Netflix. It could be this or that. The other things, it could be going out to the bar and going out to these, to doing activities and having friends. And I'm not advocating like you become a, you know, isolated monk in your uh, apartment or home and take and do, you know, paintings or right. brew beer or take in like, fix ham radios, but how do you, one of the key things that I've learned over the years is the key to any success and following your passion is if it's people driven, be around people. If it's um, thought driven and you have to have time, you need to be able to say no to things. Yes. Um, and once you can, cause your biggest value, like the biggest thing that you have is your time. Right. And so you need to be guarded of that. And, one of the things that I want to hear your opinion on is what do you do personally to protect your time? Like I remember a couple of years ago that I went onto Facebook and started deleting people. Not, not bad, like not like farming it, Sure. Uh, but I started to like really assess and I do this every year. It's like, what are things that are taking a lot of my time up? Um, and then I try to, is this valuable for like, is this, it feels horrible to say this, but is this valuable to take and give time and effort to what I want to have passion in my life for? Mm -hmm. So what are some things that you've done over the years that I know that everybody's extremely busy. It's easy to say, yeah, I'll go do this beer tonight. 
in this eight hours, but that you have to look at opportunity costs. So how do you take and address those situations in your life? Well, it's, uh, I'm, I'm probably one of the most guilty people for not following that piece of saying no, that I overextend myself. I, uh, go back to the, uh, the buffet comment from earlier, you know, where, um, over, over stacking my plate. And I've, I still do that at times. I'm, I'm working on it. But what's interesting is in the last year, I've been personally working on getting that fixed. And so it's, it's a great time to ask me the question because I'm in the midst of doing it right now. Yeah. Um, you know, I always thought it was bad to say, you know, think of me first. Like I always said, me, 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 me. That's, that's a bad thing to do, you know, like that you shouldn't be so selfish. And I watched some of my friends where they would say no and they would sit me down and say, you got to learn to say no. And I'm like, no, you got to be there for people. You got to do this. You got to do that. And what I learned over time is that, yes, those principles and like those values mm-hmm. are important to have. Never forget them. But if I don't put myself first at times, take care of myself, make sure that I'm healthy and that I'm right. good to go, how am I going to ever use those values? Right. You know? So that was, that was one of the most important things. And that was coming to that realization was the first part of right. anything. Um, and, and going to that, then some of the things that, that I do basically now is that I'm, I started blocking off time for myself on my calendar. Um, you know, like I live on my calendar. I, I absolutely sure. live on my calendar. I mean, if you're operations based and you yeah. try to have to, you have to be on a schedule. I mean, that makes sense to be living off of your calendar. Yeah. I remember somebody asked me recently, they said, Hey, let's do dinner next Thursday. I said, great. And I said, I looked at my calendar and there I had me time, you know, it was just me. Um, or I put on there now, like I even have something called Goodreads. So every week people send me stuff that I should read, whether it's something from, you know, um, Seth Godin or something from, uh, any of the, the different, um, you know, Bloomberg or Forbes Mm -hmm. or anything and anything that pertains to what I do for my professional life or my passions or startup communities or all these different things. And unfortunately when they send it to me, it's not like I can just put everything down and read it. So I started bookmarking them and putting them into a folder. And I call it Goodreads folder. And so then on Fridays, for example, at 4 p.m., when things are kind of calmed down a bit, uh, I'll usually have an hour just to read. That's cool. And and do things like that. And what I realized at first, I was like, I shouldn't, this should be really natural. You know, like I shouldn't have to do this on my calendar. And then I said, wait a minute. One of my strongest points is that I follow a calendar. If it's on a calendar, I will do it. So why not put it on a calendar? Right. You know? And disclaimer, my coworkers will tell you differently, but a workday is totally different from my personal life. So, sure, sure. but you know, things change all the time. But that being said, I will very much adhere to a calendar. Um, so I started, you know, putting things on a calendar to be accountable to myself. Right. That and was one of the most important the things I did. Yeah. Um, on a personal note, I started working out more. I started focusing on, you know, um, and, and even with that, I hired a trainer. I said, I, I, I need to, and the purpose of that was one, to learn, Mm -hmm. but two, to hold myself accountable. So whatever I'm doing is I try to hold myself accountable to, when I'm committed even to somebody else, that person holds me accountable. But in any, in any case, somebody's holding me accountable, whether it's myself or somebody else. Do you ever take in, put your list of goals of what you're trying to do and give them out to your network for them to hold you accountable? So that's interesting. I don't do that. I do the first part, which is I started making goals now for myself and I started breaking it down. That's another one actually that I'm glad you brought this up because I didn't think about bringing it up. But um, instead of, you know, I used to be like, okay, I'm going to do, I'd make a list of 50 things I'm going to do every, every, every year when like New Year's came along. And over time I started realizing, I'm like, this is again, overextending myself. Right. 
why not just make it simple? Um, it's been such a long time since I actually sat down and enjoyed a book. Like mm -hmm. I'm starting to, I'm currently reading the Toyota Way. Um, it's an operations book that my boss gave me. And uh, really appreciative that he did because I'm learning so much from it. Um, Talk about the, the just-in-time processing of Toyota, where they didn't have warehouses; they'd built things yep. on and demand and fulfilled it, and it kind of went in. Even you know. e even the broader topics of like the, and I think I'm pronouncing it right, kaizen, which is continuous learning, mm -hmm. um, and that you're never there; you're always continuously learning. Meaning you're always, you know, it's never stops. Like it's not like oh, we reached here, so we're done. Even like, the experts in any field, like we can take yeah. it from a software yeah. standpoint, there's. These You're operating systems that keep evolving. It's like because human nature evolves and science evolves and new things happen. So, yeah. Yeah, it's it's the road of discovery, right? right. And so what I told myself, instead of saying I'm going to finish this book in two weeks, I set a goal that's probably, <laughs> I'm sure kids could beat my reading level at this point, but um, uh, one book every two months. Talking about reading six books this year. That, that's it. But six meaningful books, you right? Know? Six books that are, and that's based on the fact that I started giving myself, I was starting to be true to my, like truthful to myself that I'm not going to put overextend myself here, that I'm going to set a goal that's achievable because if you just start setting goals that are unachievable, you're just asking to fail at those goals from right. the beginning. So that's the other thing I started doing was just starting to set goals that are achievable for me. And yes, you know, at my age with, the qualifications that I have in some areas, you would think, you know, I would think to myself, wow, it seems like such a low bar, but that's where you start. You raise the bar as you go along, but right. start, at a, start at a level that's achievable and then raise it, you know, calibrate yourself. Yeah, I mean, small wins um, psychologically and physiologically take in release, um, you know, chemicals in your brain that will take and make you feel good. So like what I try to do is like when I'm working on a software project, I try to bring everything down to as the smallest piece of pie possible. Like if I can complete that task, ooh, small victory. Okay, let's go on to the next one. Yeah. And it's like that chemical reaction that happens in your brain is pretty amazing because it continues to make you want to go forward. Um, just like to touch on one of the points that you said there, it's like where you're talking about when you were saying yes to everybody with your time and overextending, I think of it as um, anytime that you see like emails, like, oh, this email is important, and this is important, and this is important, and this is important. If somebody keeps sending you stuff that this is important, this is important, and this is important, all in like a, a short period of time on the same topic, then they don't understand the value of what important is. Right. And then how do you take and address those situations? And I think um, to kind of piggyback on what you were saying, like you're, when your friends sat you down and were like, okay, we're going to take and figure, you got to say no. What it does is when you start to say no, it means that when you say yes, there's more, um, there's more behind that. More value. There's more it. value because yeah. it's like yes, I'm investing my time in this. If I can, if you're saying yes to everybody, you're just you know, you're saying yes to everybody. There's, we can go down to many different analogies <laughs> with that that I don't necessarily want to, but yeah, no, we'll um, stick to that. Yeah, but. but when you say no, 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 yes is always better. So, right. Um, that's interesting. So I kind of want to shift a little bit more towards, we've talked about a little bit of startup weekend. We talked about, um, just network and community. Um, we know that we have to demonstrate passion and time is of essence. One of the things that we're both in Chicago, we're both in the startup community here. We both have done stuff with startup weekend. We both have done stuff volunteering across like different organizations, different things, our own meetups and stuff. 
let's talk about how do we get in, how does one get involved in a community, especially around startups or something like that? Sure. I mean, there's there's a well, one caveat. How did you get involved too? I was just about to say, actually, I'm like, before I could even talk about anybody else, I wanted to talk about myself and say how I got involved. Yeah, then I'll share a little bit of how I did too. Um, and you know, I, 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 if it's okay with you, I want to take a moment to just pay tribute to the couple folks that got me to push me to go involved in the go. first place. Tribute um, away. There's a, uh, you know. You know, there's always, you know, anybody will ask me for the most part. There's a, there's a guy that I always attribute um, credit to, and his name is Adam Hahn. Uh, Adam, as you know, because uh, we both know Adam, was one of the, uh, was one of the regional uh, managers for Startup Weekend. But before that, he was one of the, um, the organizers for Startup Weekend here in Chicago. So it was a, vo- it's a volunteer-based organization. And um, so really, you know, there's... It's passion that drives people to organize for it. As I explained earlier, Startup Weekend is a three-day event uh, where people come together, they pitch ideas on Friday night, and then you know the community as a whole votes on which ideas sound the best. They take about, say, 10 companies on average and turn those into actual, or 10 ideas on average, and turn those into actual companies. Yep. And then on Sunday, they pitch it to a group of judges that are a combination of C-level folks at startups, VCs, all kinds of folks that have industry gone professionals. industry professionals. And so they get real feedback on what they build. And there have been companies since that have gone on to actually build uh, full-out companies, get funded, um, you know, all types of various pieces that go into it. And so Adam was the guy that I met there. The guy that doesn't necessarily always get credit in the story but deserves as much credit is a guy named Rishi Rungta. And he's a good friend of mine from college. He doesn't even remember this, I think, but he was the one who pushed me to go to Startup Weekend. Okay. He's like, you're always trying to build things. You're always trying to do this. Why don't you go do this thing I've heard about, you know? And he he just sent me a message, and that was it. It was one message. I saw it. I'm like, I'm going to go. And I walked into this thing saying, oh, great. I'm going to build an idea and be a millionaire. Never really happened. Instead, I got something more valuable. I found my passion. Right. But I got involved by just going to that event. Right. Um, I think that's the first thing I'll tell people. I'm going to kind of mix in like what I would suggest to folks as well is that there are a plethora of events in this city. There are meetups. There are events like Startup Weekend where you can you know, roll up your sleeves and get involved. There are um, hackathons all across that are benefiting organizations. A um, uh, guest you had earlier, another good friend of ours, Ryan Irwin, um, uh, brought me in to help out with a hackathon for the Chicago Food Depository. And um, and you were actually involved with that yes, too from mentorship side, yeah. And so um, you know he brought us both in to help out from different areas, and um, that's just it. Is that again? It's not just oh you're doing good for the food depository, which is always key, but it was also you're learning at the same time, right? right. And you're meeting new people, and you're sharing ideas. You're in a room where um, you know, <laughs> as you know from Startup Weekend, once those people are in those rooms for three days, they can uh, they can develop. Uh, an interesting aura, if you will. Yeah, and people so, can get pretty <laughs> saucy after three days. I mean, um, but when you're able to sit in a room with people and you know debate ideas and debate how you want to build something and actually push to a new level, it builds confidence. It builds knowledge. It builds um, and it builds uh, discovery. You know, right. you get a chance to figure out what it is you want to do. And and so I think the first thing you have to do is take that first step and get involved in the community. A community like Chicago has so many events to go to. I'd say start out, go somewhere and just explore, you know, and get a chance to go, to go see anything that's going on. We have Technori out there. We mm-hmm. have we have pitch competitions that constantly are going on. We have uh, meetups through Built in Chicago. They just did one at Review Trackers recently, which was fantastic. So right. many people. 
Yeah, and I think the thing to look at is like the startup community doesn't necessarily mean technologists like myself. Like my background is obviously um, business oriented, but I'm a developer too. So I have that product slash uh, engineering thing. I always tell people I can think of the idea and I can actually build it and execute and move it forward. Um, so that's a kind of like a unique unicorn snowflake kind of thing. But um, even if you just have like a business supply chain background or a marketing background or a finance background or you're a Java developer or you're a designer, there's definitely spaces in this community that you can take and like assimilate into and take and find different or like-minded people to work with or to help um, kind of just like champion that idea. It's taking bounce ideas off. I know a couple of years ago we started, I started a meetup where it was just like-minded startup people where we'd get yeah. together over coffee and donuts and talk about it. And the whole goal was to just get like-minded people to feel comfortable with these, each other. Cause I think a lot of times when you hear startups, we automatically go to the Uber, Uber yeah. uh, unicorns, the yeah. big Silicon Valley stuff. Or we have the notion of everybody's like, I'm killing it or I'm doing this. Like, to be honest, I'm going to say flat out, nobody's killing it. And if somebody says that I'm, they're killing it every single day, they're probably lying to you to their face, yeah. to your face yeah, because there's struggles there. And so I think one of the things that we get through community is um, <laughs> it's a support group. It's like you can go and have your problems like, oh, crap, I couldn't get this contract or this or that. It's not necessarily trying to specifically get business from that. I mean, sometimes it happens where you can get a contract, but it's also like it's learning from people that have been there. It's the whole mentorship idea. It's like, okay, if somebody tells you that that plate is hot, are you going to touch that plate? Probably not. You're going to listen to them. Well, how do they know? Oh, they touched the plate and it was hot. They burned them ha their hand. Right. So I think that's a lot of things that you get with the startup community. Um, well, and and I think that there's there's also one of the things I noticed is that you know, one of the benefits of the quote-unquote reckless behavior I talked about earlier sure. was that it definitely eliminated this this fear of failure piece to a certain degree. And by that, what I mean is that there's two reasons I've at least come up with that I think people don't necessarily attend right. some of these events. Now, you'll see them maybe go to a uh, an event like a, a meetup, right, or a built-in brews that they host here. Sure. I like to use that because I think that's really evolved and they're doing something with that which is great um because it's still you know to most people from an outside perception it's a networking event i'll tell you right now my opinion built and bruise is not a networking event for example that is it is to a degree where you meet people but it's a different way you actually get to go meet some folks who are out there who genuinely want to make connections within a community right versus when you just go to a standard networking event it's what uh, do you do yeah, hey like, how are you what you know? is your sector <laughs> like, like yeah. it's always the standard question it's like give me a beer i'm gonna leave here now. yeah so. it's i've learned that i'm horrible at networking events because i just don't like that type of environment but in an event where it's a community event that's a different story the purpose isn't networking the purpose is meeting people right. learning discovering and so I think networking is awkward speed dating for business people. It it's is like, it how is. can I benefit from it? Where I know you're going to this point. So I just want to tease it. Community yeah. is how can you give? Yes, it's, 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 it's a little bit of both. I think it's, it's not bad to say, how can I get, but get is one of those pieces where learn from where you're getting from and how do you continue to give with that? Right. You know, it's, it's getting to give. That's the, that's the biggest thing that you can, you can almost take away from community is that you need to have something that you can pass on. Right. So I think that's the biggest piece to it. And I think also to, to touch on that, sorry to interrupt. No, it's, like, it's adding 
like whenever we talk about it, like people sometimes will get wax on verbosely about like what they're trying to do. Um, and the only way people can help you is if they know what you're asking for. So if you're trying to take in, like, I need this. If you're emailing somebody say, Hey, I have a specific ask mm -hmm. and say, Hey, can I get you to do X, Y, Z? Like, or my ask is, can you hold me accountable? And it's not necessarily, can you hold me accountable? Like it's having like actually saying what the specific ask is instead of just writing like a tome of like, this is what I'm going to try to do. Executive summaries too long. Didn't read. You got to have that part there. It's like, I'm going to ask you for this. And then people can say, yes, I can support you with that. Or I can give you somebody else to do that. But you know, again, you have to ask that. And a lot of it comes from developing that relationship of stuff beyond the first, like, Oh, I'm a proctologist. Oh, okay. Well, I don't need to talk to you. I don't need a proctologist. You know what I mean? Which most networking events can. That would be that like. would be ironic if you said, "Oh, great, I need to talk to you." you know? <laughs> can you take a look at this real quick? Um, but I think yeah, and and kind of merging that point in too is that when you go to any of these events, when you go to, you know, have a specific ask for yourself, right? right. I think that's important, and it's not. Saying that I want to learn something about myself that I don't know right. is a specific ask. Let's just let's make that very clear. Like people have told me that's so vague. I said, no, it's not, because you have to start somewhere. If learning is your objective, then open it up. When you walk out, that's almost a guaranteed right. uh, ask that's going to get some sort of return. You don't know what you don't you know. You don't know what you don't know, and that's that's the thing. Now, what you do with that when you learn it is a different story. Going back to the the idea of like a, a an event, a community event, like a built-in bruise. Low risk. You're paying a $5 fee to get in, and you have a chance to you know, have some beers, meet some folks, and really learn something. I, the last event I went to, I'm going I'm to quickly touch on this. So um, I, was, I was there. I was standing with a couple friends, and we ended up, um, I look around, and I see this tall guy, and I look at him, and he looks really familiar for a second, and I realize that it's one of my old friends from one of my first jobs when I was at Sears Holdings. Okay. And... Like, I got so excited. Like, I hadn't seen this guy in five or, five or six years at least. And yet I got, I just got excited, and I just, I went up to him. I'm like, you know, and we looked at each other. He's like, oh, my God, big hugs. And we're like, wow, it's been so long. It's right. as if we'd seen each other yesterday, right? And I'm like, wow, I, this is the most, like, amazing thing that's happened at an event where I connected with somebody I hadn't connected with in a long time. In the time since I saw him, he'd gotten married, and, you know, um, I met his wife, and she was there because she was looking for a career change. She didn't know where to start. And so she decided to go to this event. And, you know, even talking to her, it was unlike just a general networking event where we go back to the hello, you know, I do yeah. this. And instead, you know, she was like, I want to do something in sales. This is all I know about it right now. So I'm just here to talk to people to see what my opportunities are. And she learned so much. And she's going to continue doing that, hopefully, by you know, following up with the people who say, let's grab a coffee. Let's right. talk about this. And again, that's the other thing. These events seem to bring out people who are genuinely vested in you versus the ones who are there to be like, well, what am I going to get out of this after I help you? You know? Right. And, and then, you know, so I think that's a, that's a great place to start if you want to get into the community. Yeah. If you go like me, where I went straight to a startup weekend, the risk is a little higher, a hundred dollar fee, you know, usually, or, you know, anywhere, you know, 75 to a hundred dollars, um, you know, for the weekend, but that covers your food that covers, you know, your entire experience. So right. you can kind of weigh it out, but 
you also have to participate now. It's not just you go there for an evening, a couple hours of your time. You're sacrificing a weekend. Yeah. And to a lot of people, that's, I can't go out this weekend. I can't see my friends or I can't hang out with my significant other or I can't do this. That's your personal time, right, that yep. you're giving up. It goes back to opportunity cost. What is that time related to? Like, can you see benefit of it long term if you took into this, invested in this weekend? Absolutely. Like, is beers with Becky... I, I say new beer. event, new say, event. It's coming up. Yeah, I like this. beers with <laughs> Becky is beers with Becky more important than, you know, this potential event here. And you got to weigh that opportunity cost. Like don't always think of it as an economical decision, right. but your time is valuable. Like your time is not free. Like you can be doing something else. So figuring out how to do things. Like, right. And that's the thing is that that's, that's a risk that comes with it. And even a bigger one though, is that, am I going to be able to do something here? Right. Am I going to, and the expectations you walk in with, again, you might have an ask, here's the other risk. Those expectations may not actually get met. Unlike the one where you don't know what you don't know, you're going to learn something, right? But when you go into this with expectations beyond that, where I'm going to start a million dollar company, which by the way, is what I went in with, with my Mm -hmm. first startup weekend, we know that did not happen. And you know, rightfully so it's, it's, I walked away with something so much bigger at the end of the weekend. The one thing I'll tell you with events like a startup weekend or any hackathon, you walk away with this sense of like, wow, I did something, you know? And I walked away with, I did something in these three days that I feel like I haven't done in months, you know? And so that's the biggest thing. But here's what it comes down to, getting to my point. People tend to not come to these things because of one of two reasons. They either don't know about them in the first place, which I think we've alleviated the problem since I, the Chicago startup community, I'm really proud of where it's gotten to where it was, you know, four years ago, I would say. And, but it's still, you know, it's always continuous learning the whole thing, but two, um, they're afraid. They're afraid of stepping out of that comfort zone and you know, well, I already have a job. Why would I go do this? And what am I going to be able to contribute? And, and you know, what if, what if I, I look stupid up there and even when we get up there, you've seen the events and again, I've, I've moderated a few. We're getting people to participate for those who come up and pitch an idea on Friday night, yeah, great. And for those then, and then to as we get towards the end of that pitch night area, it's like, you know, somewhat pulling teeth sometimes as to getting them up. And the one thing we constantly try to strive and explain is that the purpose is not to have your idea selected. It's to get up here and pitch anything you want and just get out of that try bubble. To be comfortable yes, that. get get into that new zone, that larger comfort zone of it's okay to pitch these ideas because you know what? If nothing else, you're going to leave the event saying that I can now go pitch an idea to a friend and maybe we can work on something and maybe we'll solve this little iota of a problem, but that's contributing something back to the world. Yeah. That's interesting that you talk about that because that's how I got involved in, in startups in general. So in 2011, I attended my first startup weekend out in Seattle. Um, I had been prior to that, just been, I have had a couple jobs that were doing different things, but I started, that's when I started to really start to learn how to code and start to develop and take these nebulous ideas that I had in my mind for products that were, that could be built on the internet and actually starting to like, okay, how do I build it? And starting to do that. So I started to learn how to code and do design work and different things. And then I attended my first startup weekend there was at the Amazon headquarters in 2011. Um, I can't remember, it was probably the summer, Maybe like the spring summer, I spent my hundred dollars. Yeah, I booked it the first day I saw it. Like I booked it in February, so right. three months. I'm like, I need to go to this. And so, what I wanted to get out of it, like the my mental capacity out of it, was I was just going to learn. I started to do a little freelancing before then, but I was like, I'm just going to go in there and learn and see if there's people that are there that can help me. And so, 
got to the event and the first 10 minutes of the event, I'm like, okay, there's some nice people. I met some people that I were there that I was seen from school and some other different other capacities. Um, and we started to take and go through the event and started to pitch and you start to feel comfortable with the weekend itself. And then you break off into teams. And as I was breaking off into teams and the next day progressed, the Saturday progressed, I realized that I gained confidence because I realized that my skill set that I had been learning in my living room, like to code, right. was actually something that could be valuable in a marketplace. I was like, whoa, I can actually do this because I'm seeing people that have jobs as developers and yeah. I know more how, than they do right now. And so from that, I got another opportunity. I, was, I actually got a job from that weekend at a company. Worked there for a year until things happened where it disbanded. Um, but then immediately after that, I knew that I wanted to take in find another market and so i came back here to chicago right um flew on no like i borrowed money from my dad mm-hmm. flew back here um and i remember emailing adam uh, yeah. while i was in seattle i'm yeah. like hey if i buy a ticket now is there gonna be room like i gotta i gotta know because i buy a plane ticket he's like oh yeah sure and we had <laughs> like things there but that flying back in that event um set off that whole transition of making me move back here and different things and that's how i got involved even from afar. So from for a year, I was taking and had a mentor here, Zach Gilbert, um, who was helping me to like hone my craft and development. Great guy. Who I yeah. met through a startup week and who I met through this here. So I think the the big thing to take away from that is you have to take and understand that, hey, you're taking a risk. There's financial stuff to do it, but there's people there that are going to help you out. Like the whole goal is like, Zach hasn't asked me for a dollar of anything. No. Never. And that's not because he doesn't need it. He works. He's a freelancer. Um, it's because he knows that you you pay it forward. It, you do this for nice people and stuff. And so you have to take and have those steps where you take and do these different things and get into the community. And, you know, down the road, things will take and pay off in the end. Um, so, like, when I came back, I started getting involved. I was on the organization team here and start uh, for Chicago and helped organize uh, several events with Andy mm-hmm. Abbott, who is a great person here yep. um, in the startup community. And him and I, the events that we did together, I thought were some of the great ones because we had large attendances, but people were actually happy. Yeah. Like people were very happy with uh, the process. You know, everybody would take and come and say, what am I going to win? What am I going to win? And I remember in those events, it was like, wow, I don't care if I win. I learned so much. And there were companies that came out of it, which was great. So I mean, that organization is huge, and I think that's a great way for people to take and accelerate. But you and I have talked about this over the years of um, how, what are their different things? There's different meetups and hackathons. So if you're trying to dip your toe in, do you take and go to a hackathon right off the bat? Or like, what is a, what's the appropriate entry level for people to come into certain different things? Well, I think this is something, and yeah, you and I have absolutely talked. I mean, before I go into that very quickly, the one thing I want to hit on, too, on that last point was that the relationships that you might develop over time, you talked about that a bit. Um, I just want to take a moment and also, we're sitting here right now. You know, we're doing this this podcast, and you know, we're having a great conversation. I met you through Startup Weekend, you know, and I didn't have a chance to work with, I, I worked with you guys on a couple events, I think, you know, because I just moved back from Austin, but um, the relationships I formed with yourself, with Andy, with Ryan, with Adam, with you know all these different with folks. Chris that, Campbell, with Chris Campbell, yeah, with with all these great folks, you know, with Kirk Lashley mm-hmm. and and all these great guys in our community, um, you know, and you know, with the with the teams that are running these events right now, 
but even more so just with the people that we've continued to meet through that is is fantastic you know it's it's and and that's the biggest thing is that more than anything else the most valuable piece that's going to come out of it are is the the community you build for mm-hmm. yourself you know that that personal community that's always going to be there for you right you know and i think that's that's very important to remember um and so i think that that's something to t- to take away as well as that you will always walk away with somebody who will be vested mm-hmm. in your success as long as you show the effort to initiate it. In terms of where you enter, uh, and I think you and I talked about this a while back, but and I and I still have always had a desire to implement this. It's just it it gets harder and harder to do it. Right. But, um, you got to say no to some things. You do. It goes back to the you got to say no to certain things. But um, there, you know, one of the things that uh, what was formerly you know, Startup Weekend, Up Global, and then now is a part of Techstars, uh, you know, the Startup Weekend, the, uh, yeah. there's the Entrepreneur's Journey, or the Entrepreneur's Roadmap, I believe is what they call it, and they talk about the different phases. I kind of channeled that and thought about a way of, well, there's got to be an entry-level point for each piece, so kind of categorizing it as to meetups are maybe a place where you can go to explore. So maybe you're somebody who has that feeling of, Something's just not right, right? You know, or or not even that. Just I want to get more involved, you know, and, and I want to go and learn about what's around me. Um, but I I'm not sure that I have too much time to commit, or I'm just you know in your mind you've already got a biased no. I don't want to go to anything beyond a, a meetup, right? And go to a meetup. It's almost like push yourself to the limit of what you're willing to do and go to that thing because the one thing that'll come out of that is you'll either learn to go to the next level. Or you'll learn right there that I'm not interested in this, you know? And here's the thing is that we talk about community, and yes, I'd love to have everybody in there, but not everybody is interested once they come in at some point, which is fine. You learn something, Mm -hmm. you know? And then I think the next level is to actually get involved with something like a hackathon, Mm -hmm. a startup weekend event, where you can learn what your contribution can be to any one idea, any project, and build your confidence and understanding where it goes. The one thing you walk out of any of those events with is this desire to give back. The number of people that come up to us or came up to us when I was a part of the organizing team um, that said, I want to be involved. I want to help out. You know, I want to be a part of this in some way was immense. So many people wanted to volunteer afterwards. And so it bodes this sense of I want to give something back to the community. And then after that, I think there's really this, this next set of levels where you go build something on your own. Right. I think that whether you're building your own company, building your own meetup, building your own hackathon, or joining one and helping out with that is very important until you get to the point where you can finally give back to the community with either what you've built right. or then somewhat an emeritus or an advisory role. You know, And I think that's, that's one of the pieces that comes into the community level. Yeah, I think it, it comes down to, like it could be like this three things. This is how I learned it. Test, learn, apply yeah and you can Very do that agile. with you could do that with different levels so at a meetup test it out learn things from that meetup apply those lessons if you go you know if you don't want to do that okay fine i've applied that lesson i'm not going to go i'm going to be doing something else but if you want to go to the next level test learn apply it goes all the way up through there i think one of the things that is interesting is in chicago we have a big ecosystem because of the natural size of the city um through your experience and through facilitating, I know that you've gotten the opportunity to work with other communities that are, 
you know, you've been in, you've seen Texas, you've been to Austin and seen that you've been in different communities through the startup weekend facilitator role. What does that look like for different communities? Like Indiana, North Dakota, Iowa, you know, other events that you've been to that may not have these like huge business central hubs that we have and all these events. What does it look like to get involved in a community like that? I don't know if you picked those four locations on purpose, but those are the four most recent communities I've been to, actually. Well, like, I know those are four yeah, that you've been to yeah. in the past, but I know like they're nationally, you know. No, but it's great. I'm glad that you mentioned those as well as, you know, um, Arkansas, you know, like going down to different different places around the country. Um, I think it's important to first start this part of this conversation off with recognizing that every community is different and they have different needs. Right. I think it's more important now in our history than ever to understand and acknowledge that, that the, there are people from all over. We would think, you know, United States of America is just one big American culture. No, you go to different places. There's different cultures as you go along, different needs of the community and what they're looking for. What's interesting about Chicago, New York, LA, these are what we call big communities, you know? Mm -hmm. And if you talk to places like the Kauffman foundation who, you know, they, 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 uh, they fuel entrepreneurship and development and growth in communities. Um, you know, these, these are organizations that, uh, that, that have helped me understand better as to what the different community levels are. So large cities um, have a lot of resources. They have large pools of talent in different arenas. Right. And so it's, it's easier for them to bring people together. That doesn't mean that it, it makes it easier to build an ecosystem, but they've got more resources to be able to pull a group together and be able to make it happen. Chicago has so many meetups now, I can't even count. If anything, I'd actually like to do a little bit of a reorganization of some of the meetups on meetup.com and be like, which ones aren't happening anymore? You right, know? Do, like, and, and consolidate some that are taking and sharing the things because they could benefit from those groups going together. Right, but my favorite thing about facilitating is going to smaller communities. Yeah. And, I, I don't, and I say smaller in a positive role. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually sh- do a shout out to a couple communities here. One of my favorite communities is North Dakota okay. in Fargo. And I'm giving, uh, you know, I think he, if he hears this and he's, you know, if he ever listens to this, uh, which he will hopefully. Go Bison. Yeah. Uh, oh, absolutely. Um, Greg Tavine um, is a community builder in Fargo. If you ever want to talk to a community builder, Greg is one of the top of the list. Greg is is absolutely, in my mind, one of the godfathers of community. Um, he recognized along with other members of his community in Fargo that, you know, I love, he's from Fargo. And so he recognized the, um, the, the level of community he wanted to build. So what he started to do was to bring in events like Startup Weekend and One Million Cups through the Kauffman Foundation mm-hmm. and started to celebrate the community that is and bring them together and, you know, let them talk about the businesses they run, the events they have. And through that, he started something called Emerging Prairie over time. And Emerging Prairie now is a, I believe it's a nonprofit that is funded that is there to champion the community through events. So hosting a One Million Cups every week where they bring two businesses in. And you know every Wednesday, those businesses talk about what they're doing and how they're empowering the community. And then they look for feedback from the community to talk about, what is it that we could be doing better for our community? What is it better that we could do for our product? We need feedback, right? And essentially what they're doing is they're championing the community overall. It's a cyclical phase. Yeah, it's a market research piece where they can get direct feedback of 
things from potential users or just like people that have like, again, it's that, um, it's that community, it's that self-help group. Yeah. It's not a self-help group by nature, but it has that like, it's, it's, it's this, it's, it's, it's a, it's a group that communicates with one another. Right. right? And they, they talk to one another, they share. Um, they've, they've started to host, I mean, they have for a long time hosted startup weekends, but Greg also is so great at bringing members of communities from across the country and now emerging prairie through right. people like Annie Wood now, who I work with on this, um, or she invites us. Um, and what Annie does is that she, uh, or not what Annie, but what emerging prairie is doing and what the group is doing is they have a couple different events. One of them, um, where they, it's called Midwest chat. And they actually bring a group of people from the Midwest, different community builders, up for a weekend retreat where we share our frustrations as well as our celebrations of the communities we come from and, you know, the things we can share with each other and how we can learn from one another. So communities like Fargo, North Dakota, if you actually go up there, I love Fargo. Everybody kind of looks at me and laughs when I say that, right? And one thing, uh, a quick note to anybody, please do not use the movie or the TV show while you're up there. Right. Not the most appreciative people about that, and I understand why. <laughs> sure. um, and moreover, though, if you go take a look, the Fargo community is a beautiful community itself, and they built that based on everything that they are, are doing through Emerging Prairie, right? But I'm going to talk about another community, too, Iowa. Um, Cedar Rapids, and, you know, like kind of what's been going on down there. Um, you know, um, Two of my my really good friends. Are you picking all things that have movies related to them? Yeah, right. You okay. know, it's it's great. Like, which one for Cedar Rapids? I don't know this one. What it's am I thinking? Cedar Rapids. Oh my god, yeah. no, I, I really am not actually. But hey, all natural, right? Right. So, um, uh, you know, uh, I met a guy down there named uh, Andy Stoll, and Andy, along with his partner Amanda, um, business partner Amanda, they started a um, uh, they started um, an organization down there, and they're gonna hate me for this, but I'm not channeling the name right now. But um, I got invited to a uh, startup weekend, uh, like an organizer summit uh, in Iowa, and had a chance to actually check out the community and see, you know, firsthand how great the community is down there. And what these guys did, uh, uh, the quickest way I can tell this story is that uh, I want to say it was 2008 that the flood happened in Cedar Rapids. I think that was when, around that time frame. And ultimately, everything was destroyed yeah yeah it was it was one of and think it was the one i think it was the largest natural disaster in so many years in our history mm -hmm. and uh federal funding was mandated there was a lot that was needed it was before 2008 because i think it was during george bush but yeah, um, i don't know the number i, can't. I don't remember exactly when it was i'll or, look it up yeah but um what happened at that point was that uh um a man andy Stoll, amanda west they were both uh, members of the community, and Andy had actually started working, um, you know, after graduating college for, and decided to work for about three years, and then uh, decided to take the funds he had saved, and he traveled the world for, I want to say, three or four years, and he lived in different communities throughout. Uh, he was in a Bollywood movie with one of my favorite Indian actresses, okay. actually. He was an extra, and so uh, Andy's done so much around the world, and he continued, he was in that search for what is it that I want to do? What problems do I want to solve in the world? And when this disaster happened, it called him home. Right. And he said, you know, I can go all around the world, but home is calling right now, you know, and that was home for him. Um, and so he went home and Amanda and him decided to start a coffee meetup. Sounds familiar, mm -hmm. hopefully. And they had five people show up at their first one. 
And they just continued to have them talking to people about the you know, through the community and talking about how are we going to take the resources we have and build a stronger community here and build a community of innovation. How is this going to become the next innovation ecosystem? And if you go to Cedar Rapids today, it is one of the most impressive entrepreneurial ecosystems that I have seen. And again, I'll get people that give me this tilted head look and yeah. what, what are you talking about? And I said, go down there and just check it out. The co-working spaces that they've built, Eric Engelman is down there now and he's doing fantastic work with um, with just their 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 innovation hubs and, and what they're doing down there. They have the Vault co-working space, which is a community co-working space where companies can get built. And Andy and Amanda, what they did was is they started this organization, the Seed Here Studio, kind of. That's what it's called, Seed Here. Sure. And they started it not with the notion of making a ton of money. They started it as a nonprofit, and their goal, their end goal from the beginning was we need to exit this and be able to have it community sustainable. And they did that. They need to exit it from a standpoint of them running them it. Them running it, yeah. that it can be run by the community, that mm -hmm. it can be sustainable on its own. And that's what they did. And so they poured their heart and their passion into it for a number of years. And today they are still helping other communities build. They um, they helped reinitiate uh, the Startup America initiative through something now we call the Startup Champions Network. I'm a part of that network, very proud member. And there are community members across the country that are a part of this. And we get together every year, twice a year, to talk about community building, sharing ideas, and how do we make our communities better? Um, and so, you know, you know, Little Rock, Arkansas, um, you know, I'm, I'm headed to South Bend, Indiana next week. Um, I went to West Lafayette for a startup weekend where two 13 year old twins participated and won second place for a pillowcase idea that they built and they actually turned it into a little company. And that's, a, and that's, that's amazing. It is. And, and I don't mean to belittle it by little, I mean, little company is a huge deal, but, um, right. you know, and, and so it's, 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 it's one of these things where it is insane what they're doing. And so the one thing that I've learned with communities outside of Chicago is that, um, you know, we already have an existing community. And the one thing that these communities are striving for is they're striving to gain the level of support that we already have today. Right. And so I pay them tribute while I'm on this cast as well as in general that, you know, to the extra leg up that they have to take in order for their community to start building these innovation hubs. Um, we have enough members in here that strive for innovation. That's why we're lucky to be in this community. Right. But that's not the case everywhere. And all of these community builders absolutely deserve the true respect of what they've built. Yeah, because it's the hard work. It's the hours that you put in. You know, we've seen it from... Like even in here in Chicago, uh, raising funds for a startup weekend is difficult, can be difficult. Um, it's all of the stuff that we do are volunteer organizations. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of companies that we can go to for funding, but still actually getting those funding, you know, from the companies here is tough. Imagine doing it on a scale where your, you know, your commer commerce base is a lot, even, a lot smaller and you have people coming from different areas into it. It's got to be immensely difficult oh 100 percent um the you know startup weekend was originally founded um by a guy named andrew hyde he um he started uh it with the notion in uh in boulder i believe of 
building a uh, an event where community members came together and built things. Yeah, didn't it come out of like Techstars original class or like a offshoot of that? I believe so. I'm not sure. I, the the initial details always get a little hazy for me. Yeah. But that's that's kind of the basis of where it started. And then what what I hear, and again, the game of telephone plays into this a little bit. So bear gotta with read, it. Gotta read uh, Feld's startup communities book. Yes, it's a that's it's a, a game changer in terms of if you're trying to take in do startups communities, build one, do things. It's a really huge game changer written by a guy who um, genuinely is talking to you when he when he wrote that. You right. know? and and I think that um, and so from that. Um, Andrew was, you know, there's going to be people in this world who can, you know, create the idea, get it going, and then there's the people who are going to take it and make it worldwide. And so um, Andrew took it to, I want to say it was almost like 80 events is what I heard, but don't quote me on that, you know, like I, I, through, the, through the rumor mill, of course. But he got it to a point where he was, um, you know, he was, you know, he had gotten it popular enough where afterwards uh, a trio led by a guy named Mark Nager, um, decided to take that, and that's how it ended up in Seattle mm-hmm. over time. Um, and then, you know, later on became up global. And Mark led this through the number of years through, you know, building it to where it is. Um, had the chance to sit down with Mark and his wife Ashley recently. They were visiting Chicago, and they're on to new and, and exciting things, um, you know, since it got acquired by Techstars. Sure. Um, they're building the Telluride Accelerator. And yes, that is in Telluride, Colorado. And um, it's the first time, actually, I heard about Telluride. Because of them, I I'm not a skier. I'm not big, you know, avid skier. Or, you know, and, and and much known. I don't know that much about Colorado. So yeah. I learned about Telluride um, by the fact that they were doing this. And when I had lunch with them in Chicago, they were talking to me about why they put it in Telluride. And I, I very genuinely asked them. I said, you know, no offense, but why build it in Telluride? You know, it's pretty hard to get to Telluride. It is too. very hard. Yeah. And and here's what they said. And you know. The main reason why I know this is going to work is because not only of the answer they gave me, but the fact it's Mark and Ashley that are running it. Because I've followed Mark for so long with Startup Weekend and what he's done with it. Right. But that he said that Telluride, you know, is a place where you don't have these talents. And so instead of trying to get people within to just learn those talents alone, which would be great, why not bring the talent into Telluride? And, you know, and so developing a base where people can come in and utilize the community. So you're talking about potentially, I'm not saying they're, they're tied to this, but potentially, um, you know, uh, startups that are in the travel industry or right. in the, you know, the recreational, you know, hospitality. hospitality yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. The hospitality industry. Um, and in turn, you know, you know, them building a base there at that point or, Learning from the ecosystem of things that are done potentially in an analog way to help bring technology into it to take and change. Write that down. That's the way to put it. Exactly. Um, and so I, I think that that's, that's, that's key. And so, you know, you have these people out there that are not necessarily, at one point it was about brain drain, you know, like we don't mm-hmm. want this to leave our community. But now instead of brain drain, it's about, well, instead of worrying about what's leaving, let's open up right. the gates and see what can come in. And, and who can come in. And it's really interesting to see where that's going, you know? And so for for one of the guys who was a part of a leadership team that built an organization that today has had events, I believe, held in Iran and Afghanistan, places that we can't even get to necessarily, um, they're breaking borders like crazy. And so I have no doubts that they'll be able to break some significant borders in Telluride. And 
these are this is the talented group of people we get to see in these other communities across the the nation, as well as um, even Rome. I had a chance to go to a Rome startup weekend uh, about a year and a half ago, and it, it's amazing that the culture is so different in Europe right. and how it drives innovation over there. And it was a food startup. It was in Rome, so of course you know food was a big thing, yeah. but you know. The food industry is so different in Europe that the problems they're trying to solve are so different than the ones we're trying to solve. So the other piece that comes to it is that what differentiates us as communities is the actual problems we're trying to solve. Telluride bringing in hospitality companies potentially or hospitality startups. Um, you know, while you know things like drone technology, I think was mentioned. You know, where like you know you have these ski lifts. You have you know imagine drone technology that can help locate people who are skiing and lost or yeah. something like, you know, like things like, like avalanche that. controls. Stuff. And I'm not like, saying that yeah. one exists, but that that's something that might come out of it. Write it down. Know? We're going to build Write it. it. We're going to tell we're, you, right. We're doing it. Let's do it. Um, but, or even in Rome where, you know, when I worked for McDonald's uh, in Europe, uh, that was one of my st uh, stints. Um, I was with a company that consulted for them. You know, I'm used to sending them enough, you know, food materials and things for them to service customers for at least a day or two. You give them a, um, a couple days of, yeah, uh, give of a inventory. Buffer, yeah. yeah, a buffer. Um, when I got to Europe, I was told that my maximum buffer was 12 hours in some markets. And I said, I don't understand. They said, they don't even have a closet to put the food in. That's how right. small the property is. So, you know, the circumstances change with what you're building. So uh, we could go on and on, but it's just there's so many things you learn from these different communities across the board and the challenges they face and what they're using to build their communities. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable to think about, like, you think of your community that you're in right now, but you have to take and think about other communities and how you can help them. I've always thought about that too. Like one of the ones that I'm interested in, uh, potentially going to see a startup weekend at, it would be in the Nashville community. Mm -hmm. Um, and then obviously going down to Austin because two of those things for me, um, would be around music technology. Right. Um, and there was definitely, you, you can pick a community in this, you can, Go on to Startup Weekend's website and basically go and pick a community that you think you could have benefit from. Like, I bet if you went to some of the Western states, there's people that are trying to do more ag tech stuff, mm -hmm. like different sectors that aren't, you know, beneficial in, you know, New York City. I, I don't think there's probably a lot of agriculture technology going on in New York City startups. No. Um, because it's just not a top of mind awareness. And I think it's, Connecting different people nationally is a huge thing. So if you have the opportunity and resources to take and go across like from your home market, I'll call it, um, by means take and go do so. Um, one of the things that I want to take and like ask and is could be like wrapping up a little bit is what keeps you involved in the community in startups? Like what is, if you can put a, like a, a stamp on it, what keeps you involved? Um, it's that giving portion, I'll be very honest. And I know that that might be hard to believe because human nature, you know, how much is it about giving? But it really is. Um, I personally believe, and this is not a knock on our community, all this is just how I felt when we were first kind of getting into it. I felt I had to bust through some walls in order to get to where I wanted to get. Right. I didn't necessarily think that everything was available. And that could be because we were still growing as a community, right? So putting my head down and ramming through a wall sometimes was necessary. Uh, not physical, just a, a metaphor there. Um, but, uh, um, you know, there was there was this notion of, I wish sometimes there were more people out there that could have shown me an easier right. path, you know? And it's not like a cheat sheet where it's like, okay, you know, you're getting the answer and you 
you're missing out on the hard work. I would never take that away from somebody. And again, I say that one more time, taking that away from somebody. It's not you're giving them something. Right. If you take away the hard work, then you're taking away their ability to learn. But moreover, I talked about that reckless piece, right? Yep. Some of the decisions that I made, um, had I known some of the resources we had or the way to get involved or any of those pieces, I think I would have greatly appreciated it. There's, you know, there's a lot of times where I'll have folks give me a call and they'll say, we want to talk to you about we're going to think about starting this business. And the first thing I'll tell them is that I'm like, uh, three failed startups. So I'm not yep. sure how I can help you. And they're like, that's just it though. You've still that's tried why it. We yeah, want to talk to they, you. That you understand that, you know, um, some of the things that go involved with it. And it was then that I learned, I'm like, this is great. You know, like this is a way for me to talk to them about not just maybe ideas of what they can do. I'm not going to say what to do, but can do, but also definitely what not to do. Right. Um, and it's not just a business idea. You know, getting involved in the community, um, you know, resources, contacts, connections, all those different pieces. That's what keeps me involved is that if you just sit down with one person and they go home thinking, wow, this is something I can really do, then uh, totally worth it. And that's, that's one of the biggest things. And I think the other thing is, is that I love this city and I love cities in general that are trying to build um, on what they have already, right? right? Taking the resources, supporting one another. And any part I can play in being a part of that is is key. It goes back to, um, and this might be why you might have said the wrapping up, but it really does cycle back to passion about what I learned over my four years, right? It was about building great things. It was about solving problems that you know needed some type of a solution. And it was working with and helping people. Yeah, And, and that... Every day, if I can do that for the rest of my life, I'm living the best life in the world. Yeah, I think I can echo those sentiments 100%. I think uh, there's two things that keeps me involved. Uh, the first being, um, when I started out, people gave their time and efforts, uh, gave mm -hmm. for me. And they passed on and gave me opportunities to do things that I would have never been able to do. And so I want to give that back to another community, mm -hmm. or to another generation of it. And that's what keeps me in you know, the mentorship, like long have been the days that I've been on the organizing teams, but I've been in more of a mentorship role because of that. And it's still continuing to help out in there. And I think it's also comes down to knowing that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, except for bears. Bears will kill you. <laughs> and I joke about that lightly, but it's like, again, it's giving out that mentorship. It's like helping out that particular Helping someone who's asking for those questions, you know, it's what you don't know. Right. And, and I think that there's, there's one other piece I'll throw on this. And I was just having this conversation actually with my parents out of anybody I'll mention, but you know, they're the ones who, who gave me life and you know, made me who I am today. I feel like, so I, you know, pay them tribute too, but, um, don't ever do anything that where you, where you want something back in return. That's not why you do something right. to help somebody. You, the, and let, let me, let me rephrase that a bit. Personal return. You know, if you want a return for the community, helping somebody, if they go off and create something that grows the community, uh, great. You wanted that. And, and, and that's right. great to want. So, so it's not necessarily, but what am I going to get out of this? Like me personally, like, okay, if I connect you with this guy and this guy buys your company, let's just, you know, use that. Then what percentage am I going to get for it? No, don't, th th right. this is. You know what, you know, we, we do too much of that today, I feel like. And if you do that, all you're doing is that you're, you have a resource. You have an ability to connect. 
that connection could do so many great things for the community. So you want to be a part of the community, take that piece out. Um, somebody comes back later and says something bad about you. Okay. Yeah. You didn't expect that either, you know, like by helping. So the only expectation I ever have from helping is that, you know, like give me honest feedback, right. maybe don't go talk to somebody else about it, but give me the honest feedback. Was I helpful? Was I not anything like that? But don't ever go to somebody and say, remember when I helped you? And then, you know, now you have to help me. And yeah, it's not a quid pro quo, you know, it's it is a, a pay it forward model. Yep, it is. Um, I think with that, Nero, thank you again for being on the podcast. Like, it was an absolute treat, and I hope you enjoyed your time here as well. I enjoyed it thoroughly, and I actually thank you. Thank you for having me. This was... Uh, well, hold on. As I like to do, oh, I like sure. to open up the floor for you to share anything with everybody. Like, yeah. you have an open floor. So, any messages you want to share, go ahead. Um, no, I just... Like I said, I mean, the, the topic of this conversation was, you know, passion and community and... You know, my only thing to anybody out there is that, you know, anything that you do, you know, in your life, um, make sure that there's a true passion behind it, heart and soul, you know, and then apply your mind's knowledge to it. And I think if you combine those, you're going to see great things happen with it. Um, but don't go into anything for the purpose of, you know, just what am I going to get out of this necessarily? Yes, for sure. But you know, make it, make it something more, more, um, you know, just go out there to learn, I think right. is, is the biggest thing I'm trying to say. And moreover also, the other thing I didn't get a chance to say earlier, which I wanted to share was, and this is something that goes back to the question you asked me about, what would I tell myself and what would I, I'm learning this to this day. And that is do not compare yourself to anybody else. You are you, um, you, you want to, you know, don't, don't think about, I want to make these five people proud. Be able to look in the mirror every day and say, I'm proud of what I'm doing today and what I'm striving for. And if you're happy with that, that's fine. I would never judge you for, you know, wanting to be anything from, you know, uh, a barista to, you know, uh, a doctor engineer. And I'm not saying one spectrum's higher than the other. I say that in either case. You can go one way or the other. Um, go do what you think is going to um, help you build great things. You know, go do what's going to help you solve problems and go do what's going to help you work with people and for people. Um, and I think that if you do that, it's, it's always going to come out with a, any level of success, whether you learn anything. And, uh, you know, the go do is another tribute to Adam Hahn, who's always said that. So yep. go do. Yeah. That's, I think that sums it up perfectly. Yeah. Um, as I like to do with any of my guests on the show, I like to give you a little bit of a token of my appreciation for being on the show. <laughs> so, um, why don't you take in, tell people what it is and um we can go from there all right well what i'm looking at here is a uh is an xbox 360 it's a uh, uh 2k sports major league baseball 2008 i think i'm looking at yep. here wow the year of the great flood the year of the great flood wow look at this how did you know i knew you loved that i knew that was <laughs> missing from your collection and there it's also go. inscribed on there too yes i can see actually the uh, the signatures even better than anything else a yeah. little token note i really appreciate it thank yeah. you yeah you hit a home run of a show so i figured you'd get a baseball reference in love there, it so i love it um it was great again thank you for joining us again for episode six of the opinionated stance podcast uh to all the people that may be listening, if you are here now and still haven't do it, done it, go to opinionatedstance.com. We're watching. Nerev's watching you. Uh, follow us on Twitter. <laughs> subscribe to us or follow us on Facebook as well. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play. Also subscribe to the YouTube channel. We also accept donations. The podcast isn't 
we don't do this for free, so it's tough. <laughs> sure. like, I need to eat. So if you want to leave a donation, awesome. Um, if you have any comments, questions, concerns, show ideas, please reach out. We'd love to hear the feedback. Thank you for uh, listening to the show. And I'll put Nero's uh, contact on there for Twitter or something so people can reach Absolutely. out with follow-up stuff. Absolutely. Uh, perfect. Again, thank you. And until next time, cheers. We are out. Thank you.